Brown went to the dance, feeling genuinely depressed, for the doctor had just warned him that his heart was weak and that he must be exceedingly careful in the matter of exertion. Dancing? he asked, with that assumed lightness some natures affect in the face of a severe shock, the plucky instinct to conceal pain. Well, in moderation, perhaps, hummed the doctor. Not wildly, he added, with a smile that betrayed something more than professional sympathy. At any other time Brown would probably have laughed, but the doctor's serious manner put a touch of ice on the springs of laughter. At the age of twenty-six one hardly realizes death. Life is endless. It is only old people who have hearts and such-like afflictions. So it was that the professional dictum came as a real shock, and with it, too, as a sudden revelation, came that little widening of sympathy for others that is part of every deep experience as the years roll up and pass. At first he thought of sending an excuse. He went about carefully, making the buses stop dead before he got out and going very slowly up steps. Then gradually he grew more accustomed to the burdens of his dread secret, the commonplace events of the day, the hated drudgery of the office where he was an underpaid clerk, the contact with other men who bore similar afflictions with assumed indifference, the fault-finding of the manager making him fearful of his position. All this helped to reduce the sense of first alarm, and instead of sending an excuse, he went to the dance, as we have seen, feeling deeply depressed and moving all the time as if he carried in his side a brittle glass globe that the least jarring might break into a thousand pieces. The spontaneous jollity natural to a boy and girl dance served, however, to emphasize vividly the contrast of his own mood, and to make him very conscious again of his little hidden source of pain. But though he would gladly have availed himself of a sympathetic ear among the many there whom he knew intimately, he nevertheless exercised the restraint natural to his character, and avoided any reference to the matter that bulked so largely in his consciousness. Once or twice he was tempted but a prevision of the probable conversation that would ensue stopped him always in time. "'Oh, I am so sorry, Mr. Brown. You mustn't dance too hard, you know.' And then his careless laugh as he remarked that it didn't matter a bit, and his little joke as he whirled his partner off for another spin. He knew, of course, that there was nothing very sensational about being told that one's heart was weak. Even the doctor had smiled a little." and he now recalled more than one acquaintance who had the same trouble and made light of it. Yet it sounded in Brown's life a note of profound and sinister gloom. It snatched beyond his reach at one fell swoop all that he most loved and enjoyed, destroying a thousand dreams and painting the future a dull, drab color without hope. He was an idealist at heart, hating the sordid routine of the life he led as a business underling. His dreams were of the open air, of mountains, forests, and great plains, of the sea, and of the lonely places of the world. Wind and rain spoke intimately to his soul, and the storms of heaven as he heard them raging at night round his high rooms in Bloomsbury stirred savage yearnings that haunted him for days afterward with the voices of the desert. Sometimes, during the lunch hour, when he escaped temporarily from the artificial light and close air of his high office stool to see the white clouds sailing by overhead and to hear the wind singing in the wires, it set such a fever in his blood that for the remainder of the afternoon he found it impossible to concentrate on his work and thus exasperated the loud-voiced manager almost to madness. 
Having no expectations and absolutely no practical business ability, he was fortunate, however, in having a place at all, and the hard fact that promotion was unlikely made him all the more careful to keep his dreams in their place, to do his work as well as possible, and to save what little he could. His holidays were the only points of light in an otherwise dreary existence, and one day, when he should have saved enough, he looked forward vaguely to a life close to nature, perhaps a shepherd on a hundred hills, a dweller in the woods, within sound of his beloved trees and waters where the smell of the earth and campfire would be ever in his nostrils, and the running stream always ready to bear his boat swiftly away into happiness. And now the knowledge that he had a weak heart came to spoil everything. It shook his dream to the very foundations. It depressed him utterly. Any moment the blow might fall. It might catch him in the water swimming, or halfway up the mountain, or midway in one of his lonely tramps, just when his enjoyment depended most upon his being reckless and forgetful of bodily limitations. 